Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're working our way right now through the book of Esther. Again, it's an incredible story that, that you may be familiar with, or at least familiar with you know, some aspects of it. Uh, it's one of the stories in the books of the Bible that the entire book really features this woman, Esther, as the main character who is working, at least the main character that is named. In, in reality, we know that the main character of the book of Esther is God, but he's never named, as we've mentioned several times before, as he works and, and providentially rules through all of these everyday, ordinary situations. Now, we're up to chapter 5 in the book of Esther, so let me pray for us, and then we're going to, again, look at all of chapter 5. This story kind of you have to take in big chunks, and so I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump in to Esther chapter 5. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the kindness of your spirit that leads us, that brings about your will in our life. We pray that you would guide us by your spirit as we look at your word. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Well, as we read this story, uh, Queen Esther, we see, has kind of decided to take this step that in the last chapter she feared taking because she knew that one option was that the queen 
uh, or that the king didn't welcome her, but rather enacted this law that anyone that comes before the king uninvited must be killed. Now, there's an irony here that Esther, if we think about this in the rest of the story, Esther is showing up uninvited when Queen Vashti wouldn't show up commanded. And, and so th there are these kind of layers of irony that are built into the story. And of course, the king welcomes in Esther. She probably, if, if, if we understand the story and how much she pleased the king, probably didn't have really much to fear. But nonetheless, after these three days of fasting and, and prayer, she shows up and the king welcomes her in. But what's interesting is she doesn't immediately make the plea for the redemption, for the salvation of the Jews. She first asks the king to come to dinner. And so he does. They, him and, and Haman come today to a feast that she has prepared for the king. And, and then at the feast, he says, you know, what is it that you want? And she asks for another audience with the king and with Haman, another dinner with them. It, 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 when you read the story, especially when we look at the next part, it seems that, that Esther doesn't feel the urgency that maybe she needs to here. But it's important for us to remember that God is actually in control of all of this. There, there's lots of speculation when you read various commentaries about why it is that she goes through this kind of multi-step process of inviting the king to dinner. Some people posit that she's kind of inviting him into these private ceremonies, but bringing Haman so that the king will be annoyed that Haman is there because he's not getting time with just his queen. Some people posit that that he's he's build or she's building kind of rapport with the king. The reality is we don't know. It's just as likely that she knows that this request is an enormous request and and is still fighting these fears of what if I ask the king for this and it, you know, it, it frustrates him. We've seen what he does when his queen frustrates him. It doesn't go well for him. So we don't know kind of really why it is that the, the queen is, is doing exactly what she's doing. We don't know. We can't say why it is that she's approaching things the way that she does. Nonetheless, we do see what it does to Haman. The king is, is pleased. The king is happy to come back to another feast tomorrow. He's, he's very satisfied with his queen, with Esther. But, but Haman, we see this tension in him. And it's this tension that, that pride brings. He, he's, on the one hand, absolutely thrilled that he's the only one besides the king that has gotten to come and feast with Queen Esther. He, he's over joyed that that's the case. He, he recounts to his wife and his friends and, and tells them all of these great things. Verse 11, Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me Come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also, I'm invited by her together with the king. He's just laying out like, do y'all understand how great I am? Don't forget how fantastic, how marvelous, how wonderful I, Haman, am. I've got all of these children, all of this money, all of this power, all of this privilege. But then there's this dark side, isn't there? 
Yet all this, he says in verse 13, is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. <laughs> so here's the reality of Haman's life. He had all of this, you know, blessing in his life. Incredible amounts of money, incredible family, incredible honor before the king, incredible privilege and, and authority. He, he was trusted by the king. He, he was the, the number two man in the kingdom. But there was this one guy that wouldn't bow to him. And that one man that wouldn't bow to him, because his pride was so swollen and so out of whack, that one man that wouldn't bow to him undid all joy that he might have. See, this is exactly what pride does to us. It, it, it absolutely cripples us. It absolutely undoes us so that there can be countless reasons that we might rejoice in the Lord. But our pride demands this one thing be met. I'm, I'm working my way through Tim Keller and Kathy Keller's devotions on Proverbs. My wife got it for me uh, for Christmas. And the last few days, he's been talking a lot about pride. Today, he's looking at Proverbs 16, 5, and 18. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. This is exactly what we see being set up for Haman. Keller goes on to write, Pride distorts your view of reality, and therefore, you're going to make terrible decisions. Oh, how true that is. How painfully true that is. And that's what we see happening here with Haman. And it's spelled out in kind of technicolor as he recounts all of the, the, the great things about his life. The splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, the promotions the king had given him, how he was advanced above everyone, how even Queen... Like he, he lays out all of this, but his... His view of reality is so distorted by this one who wouldn't bow to him that he's completely undone by this one guy who, who probably, in the grand scheme of things, though he did have some status in the kingdom, was probably pretty insignificant. Probably nobody but Haman cared that this guy wouldn't bow to Haman. But Haman's pride was wounded. And so all the joy, all the glory of his life was utterly lost on him. And, and we see he is, in fact, being set up for an incredible fall. See, that's what pride does to us as we look at this story. And, and I'm not trying to, to moralize this story, but there is here this brilliant example, this brilliant picture of the contrast between pride and faith. As Esther, trusting God to, to deliver her people, walks in humility before the king, not wanting to come in and, 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 and brashly say, this is what's going on, help me but spends time caring for the king. Perhaps 
that's the better picture of what we need to see going on here. That Esther is walking before the king in humility, knowing the power that he has. And Haman is walking in complete pride, not understanding the power he has. We're reminded here, when we're shown here, by this one who pictures Christ for us, the value of the gentle and lowly way of our Savior. The value of the, the humility of our Savior, that, that he is the one, ultimately, who humbly went before the king on our behalf, who humbly went before the judge of all creation on our behalf, saying, when I die, I die. While we stood back demanding, like Haman, that we get justice. See, really what we see here is the, the difference between the, the way of the cross and the way of glory. We're like Haman, constantly looking for glory. Constantly trying to secure ourselves. Constantly trying to prove what we're worth. And when we're operating in that posture, one little blip ruins everything for us. Esther, this picture of Christ here, walks in humility, going before the king for her people. Might we see in this our need for a savior, and might we be reminded that we have a Christ who went before the judge of all creation on our behalf, that we might be saved. Amen. Thank you.